We are in a series we started last week in Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 17. We're going to be in this, uh, we're taking a deep dive into a one passage of scripture over six weeks to try and look at this idea of what it is to live the Christian life. And so we're spending several weeks looking at this one passage of scripture. And I'm going to invite you, if you have your Bible, to open up to Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 17. If you don't have a Bible with you, uh, you can find one hopefully in a chair rack not far from you. Um, and you can find one either in front of you or behind you. And if you would turn to Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 17. I want to read the entirety of the passage for you this morning, um, just so you get a sense of where we are and what the Word of God has to say. Um, and I'm not going to have it on the screen, the whole passage, so if you do want to follow along, you're going to want to grab one of those copies of the Bible and um, have that there in front of you so that, uh, so that you can follow along. Uh, it's Colossians is kind of near the back, just uh, you don't have it, uh, know where it is, just look at the table of contents and should show you there where Colossians is and we're in chapter 3. Verses 1 to 17, <clears throat> here's what the word of God says. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Hence, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive." And above all, these put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, 
singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. The word of God. A few years ago, Wendy and I uh, moved into a new house. Not just, we brought the kids with us, not just Wendy and I. <laughs> we all moved into a new house. We didn't, kids, find your own house. We, uh, we all moved into a new house. And um, in the process of buying a house, for those of you that have gone through it, is an interesting one, finding one, and you know, then going through the process of uh, making an offer and considered and all that can be a pretty emotional and uh, process. And I remember driving by that house that we thought was a really good fit for us and praying uh, multiple times, twice a day, drive by that house and pray that God would provide and open the door and everything and, and all that goes into that. And it was a wonderful process. And as a part of that process, um, one of the things we did, and most people do, I guess everybody just about does, is get a house inspection. And you get the house inspection to get a look at things you might not normally see to see how the house is. And I remember when we got the house inspection, uh, the guy that came out to do it, he was in the basement uh, probably about 30 seconds before he took his flashlight and said, you got termites. And I said, we got termites. I never saw any termites. Uh, but that's why we've got the building, the house inspector, right? So uh, he said, it doesn't look like they're in the structure of the house or they've, you know, affected much of the real structure of the house at all in any ways, but they're, you know, eating up this part and that part and you get to deal with it. And so uh, we went ahead with the house and we went through with it. And, and the first thing I did, first day we closed, I went in there and ripped out all that wood that the termites were eating. Uh, and before a single thing got moved into the house, I had the termite guy out uh, and he's out and he's drilling holes and putting poison things and hopefully killing termites everywhere and, and hopefully the termites are all gone uh, and things like that. But I think that the point is when we have something we want to get rid of, we ought to do it pretty quickly, especially when it's termites. <laughs> but the reality is in our lives and in our houses or possessions at times. There are things we want to get rid of and we know we should get rid of, or there are things we want to fix and we know we should fix, but we don't. We kind of let them go. And maybe in your car, you've been hearing that knocking sound for some time and you keep turning the radio up louder so you don't hear it. Or you've seen that light on the dashboard come on. And you just kind of cover it up with something and you don't want to look at it. We know something needs to be done, but we don't do anything about it. Something in your house needs to be fixed. There's a leak or something and it's been going on for some time. And we, we know something needs to be done, but we still don't do anything about it. Why is that? I think there's at least two reasons. I think there's probably two main reasons why that happens. The first is we may not understand the seriousness of the situation. We don't think it's that big of a deal. And so we keep driving and we keep going and we don't pay that much attention to it. The second is we don't know how to fix it. And so we just don't do anything about it. 
We don't know how to make it better. We don't know how to fix it. We don't know how to get rid of something maybe we need to get rid of, so we just leave it. It's true of houses. It's true of cars. It's true in our spiritual life as well. There are things in our spiritual life, those of us that follow Jesus, those of us that call ourselves Christians, that at times we know we need to fix, and I would say we know we need to get rid of in our life. Things in our lives that we see in our lives, and we know God doesn't want them there, and we know they shouldn't be there, but they're there. And why? I think for the same two reasons. One, we may not understand the seriousness of them. And two, we just don't know how to get rid of them. Those things that come between us and God, those things that are in our life that should not be there, the Bible calls sin. Those things that we know that God would not want us to do and yet we find ourselves doing them. Those things in our life that we know God would not want there. They put a barrier between us and them uh, and God and they're still there. The Bible calls that sin. And if it's the first situation that we don't take sin serious enough, well, as Christians, we ought to understand that sin is something God takes very seriously. In fact, this table that we just gathered around, as much as it is anything else, it is at least a testament to how serious God takes sin. The fact that Jesus, God's son, would come down that he would be nailed to a cross and that he would die it wasn't just because he loved you. It was because sin demanded a penalty that could only be paid by God himself. So if we don't take sin seriously, know that God takes sin seriously. Know that God is something that's really important and a big barrier between us and him. It's why Jesus had to die. It's why the cross had to happen. It's why the blood was shed. So sin is serious. God says it puts a barrier, a barrier between us and God, a barrier between us and each other. It breaks things. This world is broken because of sin. Disease, sickness, wars, fighting. It's because of sin that this world is broken the way it is. And so we ought, if we are followers of Christ with Jesus as our Lord, ought to take sin seriously. And I think most of us that are in here that follow Jesus probably do, probably understand that sin is a serious matter and that's why you're here. That's why you, we celebrate communion. That's why you worship. That's why you've given your heart to the Lord. You recognize how serious that is. But still at times we have things in our lives, sinful things, that we want out that we know should be out, but they're still there. Well, if it's not because we don't understand how serious it is, I think maybe it's because we don't know how to get rid of them. We don't know how to fix it. We don't know how to rid ourselves of sin because we're stuck in this time in our life where we are being uh, made more like Christ, but are not completely there. Uh, Pastor Alistair Begg, when it comes to the relation of Christians to sin, puts it this way. He 
probably got it from somewhere else. I don't know, but Alistair's the one I heard say it, so I'm going to attribute it to him. He said this as far as a Christian in relation to sin. He says, for the Christian, salvation, justification means you have been delivered from the penalty of sin. Sanctification, growing more like God, means you are being delivered from the power of sin. Glorification, one day when you are with heaven and in God's presence, means you will be delivered from the presence of sin. But currently, where I'm living life, it is saved from the penalty of sin. And looking forward to the one day where I'll be delivered from the presence of sin. But I'm living, and you're living in the middle where I am being delivered from the power of sin. And so we have these things in our lives that we know ought not to be there. Now, I'll never be completely free of sin this side of heaven. But I will tell you, don't believe the lie that there you cannot kill off sins in your life that you can be set free of. Just because I will never be completely free of it this side of heaven does not mean there are not victories to be had on this earth over sin in our lives. And I think sometimes we might become to believe the lie that, well, I can't do anything about it. If God wants to do something about it, he'll do something about it and and I'll just go on living my life. That's not true. Because one of the scriptures we're gonna look at this morning is chapter three, verse five, and it says this, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you? Colossians 3, five. That tells me two things because Paul is writing to Christians. He's writing to a church. So that tells me two things. Tells me one, Christians have things within them that need to die. That you don't come to Christ and you're made perfect and everything's fine. Uh, So don't be surprised. And it's not a surprise to you. You know it. There are things in me and there are things in you, even though we have been saved and redeemed by Christ, that still need to die. Tells me a second thing. Put to death is an imperative it tells me that I have some responsibility in the matter. It's not all on God. God has done the hard work in the cross and in Jesus Christ. God continues to do the refining work that I might be made into all that he's called me to be made into, but he also puts some responsibility on the believer. Put to death. Command. Imperative. You have a responsibility. I have a responsibility to work in this life, to put sin to death in our lives. But how do you do it? I mean, that's the question, right? I think a lot of us, you say, okay, Pastor Rick, that's fine. I'm all aware of that. You haven't told me anything I don't know yet. That's fine. I probably don't tell you much you don't know anyways. Just reminding. Reminding from God's word that we are to put things to death. How do you do it? I have two ways I want to talk to you about this morning that how we are to put to death those things in our lives, those sins in our lives that are not what we want and not what God wants. And and I could summarize them best way is this. The first thing you need to do, and they all involve your gaze. They all involve where you're looking. And the first one I'd say is this. In order to put sin to death in your life, look up. Look up. The passage in Colossians chapter 3 says, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. 
Set your minds on things that are above. If I asked you this past week, where has your mind been set, would the answer be on things that are above? And the only explicit thing that's mentioned in this passage of what is above is Christ. Set your mind on Christ. Now we talked last week that following Christ is not about trying, it's about training. And it's about training in the life of following Christ. And how do you do that? You train your mind to be set on Christ. You and I are having our minds and our lives trained all the time. Like it or not, everybody is being spiritually formed by the world that is around you. Everybody's mind is being formed. Everybody's heart and spirituality is being formed by the world around you. The only question is, will you take some intentionality in the formation? Someone, everything around you is trying to set your mind on something, whether it's a beep on your phone, ad on your TV, a billboard on the highway, music on your radio, someone yelling your name. Everybody's trying to set your mind on something. Word says, set your mind on things that are above. Well, how do you do that? You train your mind. How do you do? We talked a little bit about the training last week. Have a daily devotional life. Have a time in your day where you set aside and focus only on God. You give time in your day to a lot of other things and a lot of less important things. Give time in your day to God. Even in the morning if you're not a morning person. I don't, I know there are some people who aren't morning people and, and, and you don't, but I'm telling you, I think there is importance in the first thing in your day, getting up and setting your mind on the Lord and the things of God. You say, well, I've got young kids that get up early. You can get up earlier. I bet you can beat them. I bet you can get up 10 minutes earlier, 15 minutes earlier. And I think it'll be worth it for you to take a few moments To say, God, whatever is going to happen, Lord, you are first, and I set my mind upon you. Have that daily devotional life. Spend some time in God's word in the morning. Have a daily, you know, this devotion we recommended to you, the Hidden in Christ devotion for the next few weeks. You know, that's one, among others. You know, spend time just, God, what do you have to say to me? Where do you want to go? Have a daily devotional life. Set your mind on Christ. Do it with others, as I said last week. Walk, have other people in your life that are walking in the same direction community group or even uh, just friends one-on-one, get together with them as you're going through this devotional book. There's questions at the end of each chapter. Say, uh, you know, what about last week's message? How did that affect you? How is it, you know, what's God doing you? What, what is God teaching you about putting to death things in your life? What have you learned? I'll pray for you. You pray for me. Let's share and then we'll leave. But let's walk this road together. Set your mind on the things of Christ. One of the ways you do that is by doing it together with other people, having a daily devotional life. It's how you train your life. Memorize scripture. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I don't know how many of you took me up on the challenge last week to memorize chapter 3 of Colossians 1 to 17. If you haven't started, I challenge you to do it and memorize that passage of scripture. You have memorized and committed to memory things that are far lengthier and far less important. I promise you, you have. And you can remember and memorize scripture because when you do, you give God something to work with. 
Because when you hit that difficult time and that hard time, what you give in the hiding the word of God in your heart is you have given God something to work with that he can bring that word. Remember that word you memorized? Remember, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things of earth. And God can bring that to your mind. So remember, that's who you are. Your life is hidden in Christ. You may be having a difficult time at work and people are throwing barbs at you and saying, oh, your life is hidden and protected in Christ no matter what happens. You might have something come your way that you didn't expect and you didn't know, you don't know if you can handle it and God brings this scripture back to your mind. Don't you remember? You are hidden in Christ. You may be concerned about your future. I don't know what's going to happen and God brings back to you. Remember, you will appear with Christ in glory. That's your future. That's where you're going. But you got to give God something to work with. And so train yourself and hide scripture in your heart. And if you haven't started it yet, I challenge you this week, start it, memorize. Colossians chapter 3, 1 to 17. It's a good passage, one of the great chunks of scripture to be able to commit to memory. Look up, look up. There's an old song we used to sing in church. Those of you who have been around a while, you might remember the lyrics to this song. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. What's the next one? Look full in his, I knew the Duncans would have it, wonderful face. And the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. That's an old one. We don't sing it anymore, but it's truth. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Some of us are wondering, why aren't I growing? Why aren't I becoming all God wanted me to be? Look up. Take your eyes off of these things around you. Second thing, not just look up, but how do you put to death, how do you rid yourself of sin, is don't look down. Don't look down. I mean, that's what the scripture says. It says, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Too many of us spend too much time with things that are on earth. I mean, we literally, these day, this day and age, this is how we walk around. And so we have to have lights on crosswalks so we know that we're coming to a street. And, you know, you, you're just spending your time looking down. I don't think it's too far of a stretch of this verse to say, stop looking down all the time. Because these are the things of earth. Set your mind on things above. Stop looking down. Focus your gaze. I didn't watch the Kentucky Derby yesterday, but I know enough about horse racing to know that those horses, every single one of them go around that track, had blinders on them. And why did they have blinders on them? Because they're animals that get distracted easy, easily. And if you don't have those blinders on, they're going to get distracted by the crowd or they're going to get distracted by the other horses and they're going to lose their attention and they may finish the race, but it'll probably be last if they finish at all. And you and I are animals that get distracted very easily. 
And we need to put blinders on as well. We need blinders that keep our eyes focused on the things that are above and on the things of God. We need blinders that'll keep our eyes stop looking down, stop looking around, and focus our eyes on things that are above. See, I think one of the problems with us when it comes to sin is we try and manage sin. You know, we're like, ah, I can handle it. I'm dealing with it. And so we, uh, instead of killing it and get rid of it, we kind of keep it over in the corner where no one can see it and pretend it's not there, but we go and visit it every once in a while. And it's not nearly as bad as some things other people are doing. It's just a small thing and we keep it there. And we wonder why our lives are not all that they could be and all that they should be. And we keep these things around. Don't look down. When it comes to sin, we're called to stay focused on the Lord. What's those blinders look like? Well, sometimes it's very practical things like just putting a filter on your computer, some accountability with someone else on your phone, your tablet, your whatever, so someone else sees and gets something like covenant eyes that we use at the church or something else where other people have a knowledge of your internet searching and sometimes it's a very tangible thing like that, blinders. Stop following, maybe you gotta stop following some people on social media or stop or just get off social media because you know where your heart goes when you go. That was a, that was a loud amen, Kathy. Uh, <laughs> that's all right. You know where your heart and your mind goes when you go there. And so maybe that's something God's talking to you about. Maybe that's something God's, God's doing in your life. Maybe there's some friends or some relationships that are not taking you down a healthy road. Situations that you know you shouldn't be going into. Maybe you shouldn't be going to that bar or that home or that house or that apartment. Because you know when you go there, you're going to a place that's going to take you down a road that you don't want to go. And so don't depend on God to say, God, if you don't want me to go there, just block my way. No, God has already given you the ability to kill it off in your life. God has already told you and you know that you're not supposed to be doing it. So don't put it on God that he didn't put a car accident in your way to stop you from going there. Let's be honest about who's really responsible here. You put to death those things in your life. Now, sometimes by God's grace, I thank God for the things he saved us from and preserved me from over the years. But I also recognize he's put responsibility on you and on me to do this. Change some friendships. Don't go into situations. And sometimes we just have to put these very practical things in place in our lives because of the seriousness of what sin is. And you say, well, isn't this legalism? Just putting rules in place. No, 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 no. Don't get it fused with legalism. Legalism is something that says, if you don't do this, you're not a Christian. Or if you do this, you are a Christian. That's not what I'm talking about here. We're not talking about saying, well, if you're on social media, you're not a Christian. Or if you're not doing, you know, you don't do your devo daily devotionals, you're not a Christian. That would be legalism. And we're saying, what is the wise thing for a follower of Christ to put in their life, to train their life in order to follow Christ? What's wise? What's the wise thing to do? What would train your mind and your heart on Christ? 
It's not that you can't run a horse race without blinders, but you're not going to finish very well. Pastor Andy Stanley runs, uh, uses the illustration of guardrails on the highway. Guardrails on the highway put there. And the idea is that sometimes that in our lives we're wise to put up guardrails. It's not that you can't drive on the road without guardrails. Of course you can. You can drive on the road without guardrails, but if you let down your guard for a moment, if you get distracted, if you nod off, you are going to thank God that the guardrails are there to keep it from being a complete disaster. And so you put guardrails up in your life because if you get distracted, the enemy takes your focus off of God and what you're supposed to be doing, then the guardrails are there to keep it from being a complete disaster. You put guardrails up in your life. Don't look down. Stop looking down and looking around. And, and Paul lists these sins here. He says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. Basically, he gives two categories, sexual immorality and materialism. Life was so different in the first century. Right? It's so irrelevant of Paul. Sexual immorality... And materialism. I know we don't deal with those in the 21st century, but Paul was dealing with them in the first century. That these are the big things. He said, you know what? You're followers of Christ, you're Christians, and yet you're getting distracted by these two things. And they're becoming gods in your life. They're becoming idols in your life. It's not that sexual, uh, the sexuality is something that inherently is wrong. Paul's not saying that. He's saying that immorality is wrong. The idea that God has given it as a gift in a certain context to be enjoyed and not to be polluted and corrupted and objectified and become an idol in your life. Tim Keller says an idol is when a good thing becomes an ultimate thing. Something given as a gift of God is a good thing, but when it becomes the thing I live for, it becomes an idol. Same thing with material blessings that God might send your way. He gives you material blessings and, he, and we receive them as a gift from God, but we have to be careful that we don't start then living for those things and worshiping those things. We don't make good things ultimate things. The truth is when it comes to sin in our lives, and I'm going to wrap up here in a couple minutes because I want to give us time to respond, because I think this is a simple word, but an important word for us. In fact, when I was preparing this message really this week, that just, I just felt like I just need to come up here and say, put to death, because that's, I think, what God wants us to hear. Just kill these things in your life that you know shouldn't be there. And the only way I know how to kill something off in our life that shouldn't be there is to by stop feeding it. You need to starve it. You need to deprive it of what is giving it life. So if there are things in your life that should not be there, that you know sins in your life that God does not want there, then stop feeding it. Stop giving it what it needs to live in your life, in your mind, and in your heart. To kill means to quit fooling around with it. Don't play around with dead things. Leave it alone and walk away from it. 
See, some of us want to kill things and then want to continue fooling around with something that's dead. We kill it and we try to offer it life-saving measures. Others just want to beat things up a bit, injure them, and we wonder why we still struggle in our life to be all that God has called us to be. It's because we've not killed it yet. We injure it pretty good. Makes us feel good for a little while. But then after a while, it comes back with strength to pull us back into the old way of life. Paul says, put to death. Kill it. And if you kill it, then walk away from it. Don't go fooling around with it. If as a Christian, we have desires and wants for sin that rival our desires and our wants for God, then we have to look into our hearts and cry out to God and ask him to change that. Because the truth is, this table reminds us that God takes sin very seriously. It's not a joke to him. It's not something to get hang around. It's not something, it's something that he knows is going to destroy your life if you weave it hanging around. Either we kill sin or it kills us. That's the word of God to us. If you've died, been raised, been hidden with Christ and will appear with Christ, if all that's true about you, then I ought to hate and kill sin in my life. And don't worry about sin in the world. In fact, that's often a problem and a distraction in our lives. We get so focused on sin that is outside in the world and in other people that we miss the need to kill sin in our own lives. It's a real strategy of the enemy. Oh, yeah, why don't you look, you know, you hear that message pastor's preaching. Well, you know that person needed to hear it. And that's the quickest way to get your attention off what God wants to do in your life. It's the easiest way to get your attention off what God wants to do in your heart and what God is saying, no, 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 no. You have something in your life that needs to die and let's not get distracted from that. You have something in your life that's some work I want to do in your life and let's not get distracted from that. As Christians, we should be actively ridding our lives of sin. And if we're not doing this, it may be because we do not understand the deadly ramification of sin in our lives. We do not understand that left unchecked, sin will ultimately destroy our relationship with God and with others. And we come to church and hear the preacher rant and rave about how sin is bad, and we say to ourselves, it's really not that big of a deal. It's only after sin has taken over and affected our relationships with others and with God that we realize how sick we've become. And we begin to deal with the problem and we come to recognize that the cost of dealing with sin that has taken over our lives is far greater than if we had dealt with it right off the bat. So will you today recognize the serious nature of your sin and begin today to allow God through Christ by the power of his Holy Spirit to work in creating you anew? And that's the question. And I'm going to ask our music ministry to return as we prepare to respond to God's word. Because the ultimate call of this message is the fact that you and I have things in our lives that need to be put to death. Things that we have allowed to hang around that you know need to be killed. And sometimes we let things hang around because we don't know how to kill them. Look up. Keep your eyes focused on God. Stop looking down and kill off whatever in your life needs to die.
One of the, um, I like one of the illustrations that James Brian Smith uses in his book when it comes to this topic. He, uh, he goes off of the King James version of this translation of this verse, which doesn't say put to death. It uses a different word that we don't use very often. It uses the word mortify. Mortify the things of earth. Which is like a powerful word, right? It's almost an onomatopoeia. Like it almost like sounds like you're killing something as you say it. Mortify the things of earth. And we don't use the word mortify very often. But we do use a word that has the same root in it. You may not even realize, I didn't realize it until, until he pointed it out. And it's the word mortgage. Mortgage. Mortgage has the word mortify, mortify right in it. And what your mortgage is, is the slow death of your debt over time. It's your mortgage. And I thought that's a good picture of what the Christian life you are called to live is. Because maybe you've tried to kill something before and it hasn't died. But you need to keep over time every day working to kill that thing off in your life until it's gone. It's just like your mortgage. Every month you're making that payment and you're paying down that principal and you're gaining equity. And it's the same thing in your spiritual life. That you work every day. You're paying that down. You're gaining equity. You're giving... You're, keeping the enemy from getting a foothold and you're giving more control of your life to God. Mortify the things of earth in your life and my life. Kill them. Don't give them a place to live anymore. Don't give the enemy a foothold in your life anymore. So as we prepare to respond here in a moment, I'm going to give you an opportunity to come forward and play this altar and just ask God to take away the desire and kill off whatever is in your life needs to die. And now, if you're in here this morning and you are not a follower of Christ, you're not a Christian, I recognize there's always some in here that that's the case. You're trying to figure this out. You're trying to explore this. I want to be careful about something. Don't hear what I'm not saying. If you are in here and you are not a Christian, my job is not to get you to stop sinning. That's not my goal. My goal, if you are not a Christian, is not to come in here and hopefully I can get you to stop sinning because that's not the answer. If you are not a Christian and you are in here, my goal is to get you to understand the love of God for you and how much this God loves you, has created you, died for you, and that if you will come to him through his son Jesus Christ, that he will come into you and give you a new life, and then he will give you the desire to live a life rid of sin. So don't hear what I'm not saying. If you are not a Christian, your job is not to manage your sin. Your job is not behavior modification. I want you to fall in love. It's kind of like when, when I, uh, you know, when I was a kid, I thought I knew what a steak was. I'd go out and order steak or someone bake a steak, and I thought I knew what a steak was until I got a little older and actually went to a steak restaurant. I mean, a real steak restaurant. Like somebody takes you out and you go, or somebody, somebody gives you a gift card, and you go, I mean, you go to Ruth's Chris, or you go to Capitol Grill, or to Morton's, and you go, and you go to the steak, and you go look down the menu, all the cuts, and you say, I'm going to take this one, and they say, oh, that's a wonderful choice, Mr. Piccarello. And I always think, like, what wouldn't have been a wonderful choice? Which, which would I have put that you would have been like, oh, you don't want that? But, 
beside the point. Anyways, you go, you pick out your steak. There's a butcher in back. He's got the cut that you want. They're going to cook it in an 1800 degree oven. They're going to serve it on a 500 degree plate. It's coming out and you take your fork and you break it off just with your fork and you put that steak in your mouth and you say, I didn't even know what steak was. Now I know what steak is. If you're not a Christian, that's my goal for you. Not that you would manage sin, but that you would try Christ and that you would see that you didn't even know what life was. You didn't even know what freedom was before coming to Christ. That's what God offers you. But if you're here this morning and you are a follower of Christ and you have let sin hang around in your life, let today be the day that you kill it. Let today be the death date of that sin in your life. And so in a moment, I'm going to pray. The music ministry is going to play. And I'm going to invite you to come up to these altars and kneel and pray. And someone will come behind you and lay a hand on your shoulder and pray for you. An altar is a place where something goes to die. And that's what we do. We offer ourselves at the altar and say, God, I am a living sacrifice for you. And whatever needs to die in my life, let it die today. Let it die today. And let that be the case, that whatever needs to die in our lives, put it to death. Yes, God is at work in you. Yes, God is making and shaping you. into. Yes, God's doing all the hard work. But yes, he has given you a command. Put to death that which is earthly in you. Would you stand with me? Father, thank you for your word today, even hard words. Thank you for words that are difficult to hear at times and not always received in the current culture and climate that we may be living in and yet are your word. And so, Lord, thank you. And I pray that we as your church would hear and respond. And Lord, there are things in all of our lives that we need to kill off in our lives. And I pray that we this morning as your church would respond to your word and would begin the work even now of coming to you and saying, Lord, kill it. Kill this desire. Kill this thing I've let hang around. Kill this thing I know that you don't want in my life and I don't want it either. Lord, I've got to die today and do it in Jesus' name.